Father, your word tells us that you'll put a new song in our heart, that you fill us with a new song, that there's always a, a new song on our tongues. There's always a new song in our heart. And Lord, just now as we sang a, a spontaneous worship song back to you, Lord, that's, that's the absolute truth and that's the condition of our hearts. That's what we believe, that nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing is too difficult for thee. And we love you, Lord. We love you with all that we are and all that we ever will be. Because to you and for you and through you is everything in our lives. Father, would you please redeem every area of our lives? Anything that's still broken, anything that's still fractured, anything that's still less than what you intended, would you bring wholeness, would you bring health, would you bring vitality, and would you bring fruitfulness to every single area in our lives, in our health, in our relationships, uh, it, where we work, where we live, in our neighborhoods, would you cause us to be so full of you that we just pour out the goodness of God and the power of the gospel everywhere we're at? Every song we sang today, Lord, talked about who you are and what you've done for us, and it's the absolute truth. All these songs are based on what you told us in your word. Lord, I just love how you've said it's, you're not a man. It's, it's literally impossible for you to lie. <laughs> I love that. And so, Lord, every single word in your Bible is the truth. It's a promise to us, and we can count on it. So, Lord, today as we look at Josiah's story, would you make it real to each one of us? Josiah was a guy that lived hundreds of years ago. But he's a regular guy that discovered he wanted to follow your ways, and then he realized he wanted to know you more, and then he realized he wanted to do great things for you, and then he just realized that there's always more, all your promise. He wanted to live in you, with you, for you, by the power of your word and the power of your spirit. Would you please, Heavenly Father, would you please stir our hearts today that all of us would have that same response today, that we want, we want to live for you, that we want to know you more, that we want to do things for you and we want to know the glory of your word as the reality, as the truth that we live by. Would you please do this by the power of the Holy Ghost? And I pray this all in the name of Jesus Christ, the one and only risen Savior. And all of God's people said, amen. amen. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you, worship team. That was great. Man, hallelujah. Well, I... I almost could just do an altar call right now because Lois just preached most of my sermons. So. <laughs> so I don't know if she stole my thunder or if she plowed the way, but we're going to find out. Amen. So uh, if you have your Bible with you, could you turn with me to 2 Chronicles chapter 29? At the closing of today's service, uh, we're going to uh, do something a little bit different. We're going to all sing together, do a, a, a video song. And then after we do that, then I'm going to give everybody an opportunity to just come forth and be prayed for if you want to uh, try to embrace something of God, you want more of God. But first, we're just going to worship all together to that song, then you'll be a little bit familiar to it. Then after that, we're going to open up the altar and just give you a chance to, to respond to what the Holy Spirit did here today. So. Today we're going to go and look at a few different kings in the Old Testament, mostly Josiah, but to, to talk about Josiah, you have to give just a little bit of background. So we're going to talk about some good ones and some bad ones, and uh, in, of what we look at today, we're going to see that God was calling and drawing these men to himself. He's calling and drawing each one of us to him too. 
and not just to church on Sunday. The church on Sunday, the, in reality, our church services are the overflow of our 24-7 relationship we have with God. Uh, and in American culture, it's actually flipped. We're told that this is our relationship with God, that this is what it's all about, and then what we get here, this is what we live out of for the rest of the week. That's a lie. God wants us to be with him 24-7, just totally full of him, enjoying his presence, enjoying his word, his promises, and then after living like that all week, then we come in here on Sunday morning, we kind of splash that all over on each other. So, um, okay, so um, if you're visiting here today, uh, during the summer we don't have children's church right now, and so we do have some of the kids in the service with us. Um, parents, you, uh, when kids talk and stuff, it doesn't really bother me, but if you could just be mindful for the people around you who are trying to um, follow. So, uh, one decision, today what I hope we'll all get out of this, what I hope I get out of this, is one decision can literally change everything. One decision in all of our lives can literally change everything. We're going to see that no matter how bad a country's doing, no matter how bad the nationwide church is doing, no matter what kind of neighborhood you're from, no matter what your genealogy is, no matter your family, no matter all of that stuff, you're one decision away from changing your everything. One decision. So King Hezekiah... I'm going to start with King Hezekiah, then I'm going to just kind of touch uh, King Manasseh, and then we're going to go to King Josiah. So at, at this time, if you go back and you read First and Second Kings or First and Second Chronicles, you'll see that the, it's kind of like this. That's literally what's going on. So there'll be a really bad king, then there'll be a really good king, and then there'll be a really bad king. And then it'll be a really good king. And then a really bad king. And so on and so on. This is what's going on. And then King Hezekiah comes along. 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 1 and 2. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David had done. If you skip over to a couple of chapters, 2 Chronicles 31, 20, and 21. We're going to be going like hyperspeed until we get to Josiah, then we'll slow her down. So 2 Chronicles 31, verses 20 and 21. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all of Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God, in the law and in the commandment to seek his God, he did with all his heart. So he prospered. If you're a highlighter, that, that'd be a good highlight right there. All that he did for his God, he did with all his heart, and so he prospered. What an amazing thing. Hezekiah knew a, a simple truth. This is this. My life is better. I like it better when I'm following the Lord. My life is better, and I like it better when I'm following the Lord. Hezekiah found that and lived by it. He tore down. These bad kings would literally do the exact thing God told them not to do. Don't do this. So what do they do? They run out and do it. So they put all these fake temples up, all these fake up on the high places, all these fake gods, which Paul says when you worship any other god besides Jesus Christ, you're actually worshiping a demon. So they put all these statues up, demon statues, and then they worship them. They even sacrificed their kids 
to these demon gods. Hezekiah comes along, he tears all this junk down, he gets them back focused on God. Next guy behind him, let's, let's read about this. Um, excuse me, I got a, one more little highlight, and you don't have to turn this, but if you're taking notes. In 2 Kings chapter 20, between verses 1 and 11, it says that Hezekiah, when he was older, he got really sick. And so he was, he was just about to die, and he prays to God that he could live longer. And so God ends up giving him 15 more years. Why is that significant? Because in those 15 years, he has a son called Manasseh. If he'd have passed away when the prophet came and said, hey, you're pretty sick, you better get your house in order because you're going to pass away. If he'd have went right then, Manasseh would not have been born. Instead, God gives him 15 more years. In those 15 years, he sires a son, and that's Manasseh. Here's King Manasseh. Let's go to 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verses 1 through 9. It's, I'm reading a lot of scriptures. We're giving you almost like a history lesson of some of these kings in this time. And I, I tried to condense it as best I could, but there's just so much here. It's like you, we have to see the whole story, at least a big chunk of the story. And so 2 Chronicles 33, verses 1 through 9. This is Hezekiah's son. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. So Hezekiah lived 15 more years. If Manasseh was 12 years old when Hezekiah died, that means he was born three years after Hezekiah asked for more time. So three years into this, he has a son. He dies 12 years later. That's this Manasseh. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned 55 years in Jerusalem. Imagine having a bad president for 55 years. Yikes. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. Hezekiah had cleaned everything up. This is his son, Manasseh. For he rebuilt the high places which Hezekiah, his father, had broken down. He raised up the altars for the demons and made wooden images, and he worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served them. He also built altars in the house of the Lord. What? So the bad stuff they used to do out on the hills and stuff, this guy brings them right into church. Wow. He also built altars in the house of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, In Jerusalem shall my name be forever. And he built altars for all the hosts of heaven in the two courts of the house of the Lord. Also he caused his sons to pass through the fire in the valley of the son of Haman. He practiced soothsaying, used witchcraft and sorcery, consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. He even set a carved image, the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and to Solomon his son, in this house in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I'll put my name forever. And I will not again remove the foot of Israel from the land which I have appointed to your fathers, only if they are careful to do all that I've commanded them according to the whole law and the statutes and the ordinances by the hand of Moses. So Manasseh seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. Wow. I don't want this epitaph on my tombstone. This guy made people worse than before they met him. He made the whole nation worse than before he was put in place. He made it worse 
than all the people God kicked out with all their false religions. This guy was worse than unbelievers. Sheesh. So later on, he, uh, he's beat in a war. These guys take him captive. It says that they literally led him forward with fish hooks in his nose. That's how they took him captive. They locked him up. This guy ends up spending some time in there, comes to reason, repents to God, humbles himself to God, asks God's forgiveness. So God literally brings him back to Jerusalem. He doesn't die in prison over in this place. So time goes on. He has a son named Ammon. Check this out. 2 Chronicles 33, verses 21 through 23. This is Manasseh's son. Ammon was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned two years in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as his father Manasseh had done. For Ammon sacrificed all the carved images which his father Manasseh had made and served them. And he did not humble himself before the Lord as his father Manasseh had humbled himself. But Ammon trespassed more and more. So just to slow this thing down, to make sure we paint this picture of what Josiah is coming into. Because oftentimes on TV, news shows, uh, at church, I hear people, including Christians, say, this is the worst it's ever been. Things are really bad at every level, every area, anywhere you look. It's just bad and it's getting worse compared to what we have to what Josiah comes into. He had his grandpa, Manasseh, who was the worst king ever in all of Israel. He ruled for 55 years. He shaped this nation into devil worshipers in every area of it. His son Ammon comes along, and it says not only did he do everything that Manasseh did, but he did it worse, and it got worse and worse and worse. This is what Josiah finds himself in. I don't know how bad you think it is, but I don't think America is as bad as what I'm reading about this. I, I have seen a president um, put the rainbow on the White House for Christmas. I thought that was pretty bad. That, that made me think of things like this, devil worship, demon worship on the White House at that time. But I still don't think it's as bad as what we're reading in this story. Can you imagine at the time, the nation and the religion is the same thing. In Israel, uh, Judaism in Israel, was, it's the same thing. You can't, you can't separate them. So America and Christianity being absolutely all Americans, all Christians, is what you would see here in Israel. Can you imagine having one big church, let's just say in Washington, D.C., and instead of having a cross in there, a nation full of Christian Americans, we put a demon image in there, and the president is literally worshiping that demon right there in that church next to the White House. That's what we're reading here about this. This is the climate that Josiah comes into. So 2 Chronicles 34, 1 and 2. Here's our main story. Man. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. This is so amazing. He's eight years old and he decides he wants to do good. I don't know about you guys, but when I was eight years old, I wasn't thinking about being good. <laughs> I was in third grade. What does a third grader know about right and wrong, good and bad and stuff? I, I was just having fun, man. I was playing tag. I was building a snowman. I was riding my bike. That's what eight-year-olds do. That's what third graders do. Josiah 
as a third grader, said, you know what? I see all this crazy going on, but I've heard stories about King David and how he loved the Lord his God. I've heard stories of how, how he took the ark and brought it back to Jerusalem. I heard stories about how he put a mountain of gold aside so that his son Solomon could build this gorgeous temple for the Lord our God. I, I want to be like those guys. I don't know how to do it because my dad sure ain't like it. My grandpa wasn't like it. All these people around me, I, my whole family's a mess. My whole community's a mess. My whole country's a mess. But I've heard some stories, and I'm going to start acting like these stories I've heard. This is what this third grader says. Man, that's amazing. You know, sometimes we hear stories about uh, Abraham or Moses, and we think, well, I can't be like that. These guys are giants in the faith. I can be like a third grader, <laughs> right, right? I might not be as smart as a fifth grader, but I think I can imitate a third grader. Let's see what this guy does. Man. At, in, so in verse 3 it says, In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father David. So at 16 he decides he, he doesn't want to just be good. He wants to know this God that changed David so much. You know, there's two big differences. The, you can be what the world calls a do-gooder, Right? When, when you're around other people, you don't swear. Uh, when you're at church, you don't talk about drinking. Uh, you, you make sure that here, here's the expected lines that people expect of me as a religious person, and I, I try to stay in those lines. Or you can be over here, a 16-year-old Manasseh that says, I get the lines. Okay, but I want to know this God. I want to personally know this God who David knew. I personally want to have a relationship with him. I want to get to know this guy. Not just the rules. I want to get to know the God Almighty who David worships so much. At age 16, he goes for it. Man, oh man, oh man. He decides he wants to know God more than anything else. Remember, he's still in the middle of a jacked up family. A jacked up church, a jacked up country, a jacked up everything. Everything he's surrounded by devil worshipers. And at 16, he says, you know, being good isn't enough. I want to know the living God. I want to know the living God. Man. At 20 years old, he decides that he wants to turn this whole nation around. This is what it says. In the 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden image, the carved images, the molded images. Hold your finger right there, verse 4. You know, right now we seem to be having some turnaround as a society. And I don't know uh, what all to think of it yet, but I do see people getting fed up with this whole fake narrative that the media is cramming down our throats that like 60% of Americans are homosexual, 40% uh, are transvestites, 90% uh, are this, 80%. It's like, hold on a second. We are still a Christian nation. 100% Christian? I, I don't think that. But I think we're still a majority of people in the nation, United States of America, that want to see us be a godly nation living by scriptural uh, basis and truth. I still think that's the majority of people here in America. That's what I believe. I see things changing because, like, um, not... Not a church movement. Not, it wasn't a, a radical, like, revival happened in a church movement. All of a sudden, these huge changes came through. Um, Anheuser-Busch is struggling right now because beer drinkers got ticked off. Uh, now, I never thought 
that I'd be up here saying, yeah, beer drinkers are leading the way in righteousness. <laughs> Wait, what? What'd you say, Pastor? They got so ticked off with this whole transgender agenda being crammed down their throats, they said, you know what, we're done with it. That, that label of that transgender individual on that can does not represent me and my values. Matter of fact, ticks me off so much I'm not drinking your beer anymore. And that's what their prophets are doing right now because beer drinkers. How about Target? Target's losing all kinds of money because people are so fed up with their agenda of trying to shape our kids into what they think they ought to be. Whole clotheslines to make a boy look like a girl and a girl look like a guy. They're doing this on purpose to try to take our kids from us. And people are fed up and they're starting to shop differently. They're using products differently. And it is causing things to change in America right now. Um, change, I mean, I'll bet all those... Beer drinkers, instead of drinking Bud Light, they're drinking something else. I, I don't hear that all of them quit drinking, period. So I don't know how radical that is. People that aren't shopping at Target, I don't know that they quit shopping altogether. I think they went over to Myers or the mall. I, I don't know how radical that is. Watch how radical Josiah is when he says, no, we're not doing that stuff anymore. We're getting rid of it. Watch how this guy does it. Verse 4. They broke down the altars of Baals, the demons, in his presence... And the incense altars, which were above them, he cut down, and the wooden images, the carved images, the molded images, he broke in pieces and made dust of them, scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to him. That's pretty radical. Ground that stuff into dust and put it on top of their graves. Man, verse 5. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars. Wait, what? So these false altars, these demonic altars where these guys had killed their kids worshiping their gods, Josiah puts them to death and burns them on their own altars. I think that's pretty radical. That's more than just switching beers. Man. Verse 6. And so he did to the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, as far as Naphtali, and all around with axes. When he had broken down the altars, the wooden images, and had beaten the carved images into powder... And cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. Man, I'm pretty sure that right about now, Josiah could have easily said what Hezekiah said. Uh, my life is better. I'd like it better when I'm following you, Lord. When I actually know you and I'm following your ways and we're working together in this thing to change this nation. I'm pretty sure he said, my life is better and I like it better. Amazing things are happening. So the last big age to remember was when he was 26. He started all this when he was 8. Now he's 26. When he finally decides he's, he wanted to be good, he wanted to know God, he wanted to tear down some of this horrible stuff, now he wants to build up the church. Come on, Christians. I know we want to be good because that's where freedom is. That's where wholeness is when we quit doing all the dumb stuff that destroys us. I know we want to know God. Because that's where the life is. Actually knowing God himself personally, that's personal salvation. But somewhere in all this, we got to go, you know what? I want to see the church back to where it was decades ago. When a church affected a neighborhood, when a church changes a city. That's what Josiah was after. Watch what happens when he does this. Second Chronicles 34, 8. When he turns 26 is his 18th year. That's, that's the math here. Verse 8. In the 18th year of his reign, when he had purged the land and the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, Meiah, 
the governor of the city, and Joah, the son of Joahaz, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. Skip down to verse 14. Now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, Hilkiah, the priest, found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. So while they're cleaning up the church and they're restoring, they're doing this work, they also had this big chest. So anybody that wanted to donate specifically to restoring the temple, you could just put the money in that. Somehow, in all of this cleaning and building, restoring and giving and stuff, they bring this stuff into the king. And here's the book of the law of the Lord that Moses had written. So this whole time, all that Josiah was doing was going by stories he had heard. The rare story he had heard in a whole community of people that were devil worshipers. He did not have the Bible yet. Wow, that blows my mind. So they find the book. They bring the book in, 2 Chronicles 34, verse 19. Thus it happened. When the king heard the words of the law, that he tore his clothes. The first time... This radical kid, he is 26 years old. He started doing this at 8. And they start, they, they come in, hey, guess what we found? We found the book of Moses. Oh, yeah? That, that's got a ring to it. What is it? Well, it's, it's the book of the law of the Lord. And they pop that baby open and they start reading it. And this king in his robes, just like, he's got to rip his clothes. He's like, oh, my Lord, God. Now I've heard you. I've heard your word spoken to me. Can you imagine that? Man, imagine if we're at church and I get up here and start reading and we're all like, oh, Lord, God, I hear you speaking to me. That's your word. Coming through the pastor. But that's your word. That's your word, Lord. Man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man, oh, man. This is so awesome. So then, Torah's closed, verse 20. Then the king commanded Hilkiah, Anakim, and the son of, the son of Shaphan, Abdon, the son of Micah, Shaphan, the scribe, and Azaiah, a servant of the king, saying, verse 21, go and inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that's poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according of what is written in this book. So they start reading, I think they are starting to read out of Deuteronomy, where there's a couple of chapters, especially 28, where it says, here's the blessing. If you will stay focused on God and do as you do, here's the blessing. You'll be blessed going in, you'll be blessed going out. You'll be blessed in the country, blessed in the city. Bless, 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 bless. It's like the first 16 verses. The tail end of it is, but if you don't, if you want to turn your back on God, if you want to just live like unbelievers live, then here's the cursing that will come on you. Cursed you'll be in the city. Cursed you'll be in the country. You'll always be the, he the tail, never the head. You'll borrow, but you'll never loan. This and this and this. It's a description of what America seemed used to be and what we are now. If you go back and read Deuteronomy 28, you'll see a lot of truth of what happened when you're walking with God and when you're not walking with God. It's absolutely amazing. This king tore his clothes. He's like, oh, ho, 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 ho. We done broke this thing. I need some prophetic people to go and search out the counsel of God and come back and tell me, how, how do we take this word, how do we put it into place, how do we fix this thing? How do we get back right with God? That's what this king says, the, the king of the whole nation. How do we get right with God?
Man. 2 Chronicles 34, verse 22. Here's a bunch of these guys' names I can hardly say. So, Hilkiah and those the king had appointed went to Huldah the prophetess. Wait, what? You're going to go talk to a woman? Yeah, they went and talked to a woman. So anybody thinks women can't be important in church, they have not read the Bible. <laughs> so they go to this woman called Huldah the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Takhath, the son of Hazra, keeper of the wardrobe. She dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter. And they spoke to her at that effect, to this effect. Then she answered them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Tell the man who sent you to me. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the curses that are written in the book, which they have read before the king of Judah, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger, and with all the works of their hands. Therefore, my wrath will be poured out on this place and will not be quenched. Verse 26, but, but as for the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, in this manner she shall speak to him. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard, Verse 27, this is key today. Because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against this place and against its inhabitants, and you humbled yourself before me and you tore your clothes and wept before me, I also have heard you, says the Lord. Surely I will gather you to your fathers and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace and your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I'll bring on this place and its inhabitants. So they brought back word to the king. Man, one decision can change everything. One decision can change everything. You might say, well, pastor, I see about four or five decisions that Josiah made. Yup, that's right. But when he made a decision just to be good, because he'd heard stories of good people, that changed everything. That changed everything to bring him over here eight years later when he made a decision. I, yeah, I want to keep being good, but I want to know you, God. I, I want to know who you are. I want to have a relationship with you. That one decision changed everything. Brings him over here a few years later so he can tear down all the garbage going around in the society around him. That decision, just this, about the same year, brings him over to here where he can restore the church, restore the temple to the glory that God called it to be, to do the things God called it to do. One decision at a time. Sometimes we think, well, yeah, I can make a decision now, but then tonight, and then what about tomorrow? Or what about two weeks from now? I tried it in the past. I did, 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 did. Can I just tell you, one decision can change everything. One decision. Your past does not dictate your future. God dictates your future. Josiah knew that. Surrounded by way worse than any of us have. Josiah, the mess he was born into in third grade, he could have just kept going status quo. By the way, I want all new toys today. By the way, I want a bigger bedroom today. By the way, I don't like this. I, I want a pool out here. I want a pool on both sides. He could have been the typical eight-year-old. I want to play by fire and then I'm going to go swimming. Right? That's what eight-year-old boys, that's our dream, fire and water. That's it. Josiah says, no, I, I've heard stories. I think I want to be a little different than what I'm seeing around me. A little later, I, I want to know this God. 
2 Chronicles 34, 33. Thus Josiah removed all the abominations from all the country that belonged to the children of Israel and made all who were present in Israel diligently serve the Lord their God. All his days they did not depart from following the Lord God of their fathers. That's, to me, that's so amazing. Um, I don't think that he had armed guards following everybody to make sure that they were good now. I think that everyone knew the story of their king, whose grandpa, Pradad, whose dad was worse than his grandpa, who got all this mess thrown in his lap when he was in third grade. And from that age, he started wanting to know God and wanted to be like God. He wanted to have this relationship with God and share it with people around him. And he transformed the whole nation. If you want to change people in your life, you want them to listen to the gospel and, and, and want to know more about you, get committed to God. Commitment will cause people to follow you into anything. Look at the Olympics. You know all these people that go to the Olympics and they get their gold medal and then they get to be on the Wheaties box and all that? Every single person that wins a gold medal because of their commitment has affected the people around them to give up their lives so that this person can get his little gold medal. Who's paying his rent? Who's paying for her rank time? Who's paying for their trainers? Who's paying for their doctors? Who's paying for all their travel? Who's paying for all their equipment? It's not them, they're training. The people around them have seen the commitment of Olympians and are willing to sacrifice their lives so this guy can go get his gold medal. I'm telling you, Christians, if we'll get sold out for God, if we will tear down junk in our lives, if we'll go for God so that he's just the most important thing in our life and it always looks like it, people will ask us questions. Why are you doing that? What, what's that thing you're doing? What, I know you're going through crazy stuff at work. The place just burned down. You don't have a job. How come you still got joy? Because my God's in charge. I don't have to worry about it. Didn't you and your wife used to fight like cats and dogs? Yeah, that was a little while ago, but man, Jesus got involved. You wouldn't believe how good it is now. If, if we just go for the Josiah way of doing things, one decision at a time. Father, I, I, today I'm going to decide to get you involved in my marriage. I'm going to get you, I decide to get you involved in my addictions. I want to get you involved in my stuff that I hide from everybody else. God, I want you involved in my life. Because I want to do good, but I want to know you more than doing good. That's what Josiah found. 2 Chronicles 35, 16 through 19. We're going to start bringing this to a close. So all the service of the Lord was prepared that same day to keep the Passover and to offer burnt offerings on the altar of the Lord according to the command of King Josiah. And the children of Israel who were present kept the Passover at that time and the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. Look at verse 18. This is absolutely, positively amazing. Sometimes God describes things or an individual, and if you're just, if you're cruising along reading, you might miss this treasure. There's a treasure here. Verse 18. There had been no Passover kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel the prophet, and none of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as Josiah kept, with the priests and the Levites, all Judah, Israel, who were present, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. 18th year, oh, that's when he found the book of Moses. In that same year, as he's reading about these things and the law and the blessing and the cursing, he bumps into the story about Passover. 
Now, Passover for Israel was like Easter for us. Resurrection Sunday is what Passover. They celebrated Passover, which you guys all know the story. And they're coming out of Egypt. They took the lambs. They cut the lamb. They took the blood of the lamb. They put it on the doorposts and on the windows. And they were covered by the blood of the lamb. So they escaped judgment and eternal death. Passover. What's Resurrection Sunday for us? We celebrate the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ, that was shed for us, that cleanses us from all unrighteousness, that we can escape judgment and have eternal life. They celebrated Resurrection Sunday, a model, an image of Resurrection Sunday, like they'd never done before. It says, I'm quoting the Bible here, uh, there has... There had been no Passover kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel, the prophet. None of the kings had kept such a Passover. That means King David didn't do as good as Josiah. Solomon, in all his gold and opulence, they were throwing silver away because they had so much gold in Solomon's time. He still didn't do it as good as Josiah. It says, we just read the verse just a few minutes ago, because he did everything wholeheartedly unto the Lord. This eight-year-old kid started out over here. I'm going to keep some rules and I'm going to try to be good. He finishes up over here doing the best Passover ever kept in the Old Testament. Since Solomon. Wow. What a change. A few decisions. One decision at a time changed everything. Not one, not David, not Solomon, not anyone else ever kept a celebration of God's sacrifice of forgiveness as well as Josiah. An eight-year-old boy that made a decision, a six-year-old that made another decision, a 20-year-old that made another decision, and then at the ripe old age of 26, he made the most amazing decision ever. I want to bring glory to the house of God. I want to rebuild the temple. Which, by the way, yeah, it's this building a little bit, but it's us more than the building. Amen. We're the church. Let's build each other up to the glory Christ intended for us. So, uh, I know Josiah knew what Hezekiah knew, which I think most of us actually know. I know for sure my life is better, and I like it better when I'm following the Lord. My life is actually exactly tied into how close I'm following the Lord. Because sometimes, yep, even pastors will have dry patches. Sometimes we'll have disappointing times we really don't feel like getting in the Word. We don't feel like talking about God to people. We don't want to go to prayer meeting. And pretty soon, oh, I, no, did I backslide? No, I'm not backsliding. Uh, it, do I hate Jesus? No, none of that stuff. Well, where are you? Well, I'm just really cooled off and casual about my relationship with God. Uh, it's time to make a decision, Pastor. Okay, yeah, God, you're still the best. Let me put on some worship music. Let me open up my Bible and just read my most favorite verse out loud. Let me put on another worship song. Let me read my second favorite verse out loud. Let me read it about four times. Let me, let me put on more worship. Let me read one of them psalms out loud. Okay, now I'm close to you again, God. Now we got it going on. Now I feel your presence. Hallelujah. You never left me nor forsake me, but I did turn my attention somewhere else, even if it's just to be casual. Amen? I know we've all been there. I've been there enough times. I know you guys have been there. We're going to close today, like I said, we're just going to do a little bit different. I'm going to have him play this video. We'll all sing it together. Then we're going to play that video again of me and Jeanette, and um, the gates are going to come up, 
and we're just going to pray for anybody that just wants to come up. You want to make a decision to either come to the Lord for the first time. You want to make a decision for salvation. Or you just want to get closer to him and see more of him in your life. You don't actually have to tell us. If you come up here, unless you want to get born again. If you want to get saved today, please tell us. We'll lead you in salvational prayer. We'll change you everything. But if, if you're uh, like with all of us, you just want to take a step closer to God. You want to get more of God. Just come on up. We're going to anoint you with oil, lay hands, pray for you. And we're going to see God do great things in our lives. So 